For 2,000 years, out of joy, the Church of Jesus Christ has spread across the globe. For 2,000 years, men, women, and children have joined themselves to this church, bonded by a common faith. For 2,000 years, these people together have by faith proclaimed what they believe to the world. Many have used a simple summary, the Apostles' Creed, to do just that. This fall at Holy Cross, with the church through the ages, we do the same. And look closer at how this simple creed has summarized the teaching of the Bible and has gone from being just what Christians believe to what I believe. Well, kids ages 3 through pre-K can head down to the back for Holy Cross Kids Worship. And hey, if you're visiting with us and that's something you'd like to take advantage of, but your kids have some kind of special allergy things, you can just head to the back. That beautiful woman in the back holding her hand up would love to uh, meet your kids' needs if we can. Uh, For the rest of you, if you have a Bible with you, if you turn it into the Gospel of John, that's in the New Testament. Um, If you don't have a Bible with you, don't worry about it. The passage we're going to be looking at is uh, printed for you right here in your order of worship. If you don't own a Bible, there's a million of them. Well, not literally, but there's a bunch of them on the back table. We'd love to give you one. That's our gift to you. We have more. Uh, we would, but that's we, any way that you can have the Bible in front of you as we're talking would be helpful. Um, welcome again. It is, it is good to see all of you here. So let me, let me uh, tell us what we're going to be doing here for the next several weeks. Um, we're taking from this Sunday... Till the Sunday after Thanksgiving, and we're, we're going to be working through a, ser- a sermon series that we're calling This I Believe. And I, I kind of introduced this at the beginning, but some of you weren't here. So what we're, what we're doing is we're taking apart the Apostles' Creed, which we have sung in various ways the last, or this morning twice. We're taking apart that Apostles' Creed and, and kind of looking at it a little more closely and, and the texts that... Uh, Informant. So, if you're here this morning and you you were raised in church and you came from a more liturgical tradition, say like Anglican, or Episcopalian, or Roman Catholic, or Lutheran, or something like that, there's a part of you that's feeling really kind of warm and fuzzy because you're like, yeah, the creed. If you maybe grew up in church and you're from like a Baptist tradition or an Anabaptist tradition, you're like a little weary right now. You know, so you got the one guy who's like, yay, the creed, and the other guy's like, I got no creed but Christ. Like, and, and, all, and, and then we have all the group of people in the middle uh, for whom this is all really weird. Right? Like, all of this. Like, from, like, people get in a room on a Sunday morning and they sing. Who does that? Anywhere. Christians. Uh, and it's weird. So, um, I'm glad all of us are here. But here's the thing. Everybody's got a creed. Everybody does. A creed is simply just a way of stating what we hold most dear, like what those beliefs are that we think are uh, kind of inform the way we live. Now, some of us write those down, some of us don't. But like I said, we're going to be looking at the passages in the Bible for which, which inform what, what the church is called the Apostles' Creed, which though not written by the apostles themselves, is very ancient, very ancient, and has been confessed in the church for thousands of years. Um, almost 2,000 years, in fact. So we're starting this, this series with looking at just two words, I believe. I believe is the beginning of the creed, obviously. Uh, and it kind of gets repeated over and over and over again because it governs the entire thing. It isn't just that we believe in God the Father Almighty or we believe in Jesus Christ, His only Son, our Lord, or, or the Holy Spirit, the other things. It's that it, everything in there is governed by the phrase, I believe. 
So before we get to those other things, all those things that we will take the next you know, 13, 14 weeks and look at, we need to understand what this belief is. What is this thing we call belief? That's pretty foundational. Whether you're, whether you're a Christian or not, whether you've been in church for a long time or haven't, this idea of belief, it kind of, you would associate that with, with Christianity, maybe with religion in general. So what is it? I think what we're going to find is that it's more than we think. So here in this church, right before this, the sermon is preached, we, we read the scripture from which it comes, and we all stand. So if you wouldn't mind stand, standing with us um, in honor of, of God's word. I'm going to be reading John chapter 1, verses 10 to 13. This is God's word. He, that is Jesus, he was in the world... And the world was made through him, yet the world did not know him. He came to his own, his own people did not receive him. But to all who did receive him, that is who believed in his name, he gave the right to become children of God, who were born not of blood, nor of the will of the flesh, nor of the will of man, but of God. This is God's word given so that we might flourish. Would you pray with me? Father, uh, we are in this place from a variety of different backgrounds, uh, from a variety of different commitments in terms of faith, Um, but we are here, and and so we ask that you would come and that you would meet us where we are. You would impress upon us the truths of your word, that you would maybe dispel some of our preconceived notions of what uh, craziness these Christian people think. Or maybe you dispel our notions that we already understand what it means to be a Christian. And we pray, Holy Spirit, that you would come and soften our hearts. Give us ears to hear and eyes to see the Savior that we, we long to see fully. Bless this time, we ask in Christ's name. Amen. Have a seat. <clears throat> so, here's what I know about all of us. Like I said, there's a diverse group of people in here, but here's what I know about all of us. We all believe lots of different things. For instance, I believe that today is the first official day of the football season. Sorry, college football fans. It's today. And most of the college football fans in the room are Virginia Tech fans, and we're just going to leave it. We're just going to leave it at that. All right? Now, uh, some of us, I would say probably most all of us, believe that the earth revolves around the sun. If you don't, I don't know how to help you. Uh, But there might be some folks in here that do. Uh, Some of us believe uh, right now, right now, you believe you are wasting your time sitting in this place. Right? That's just true. There's some of us who are thinking that. Uh, Some of us believe that God is active in in the world. Still others of us believe that jerk chicken is the only food worth eating. Uh, but that was only funny to like six people because they knew who I'm talking about. All right. Um, now, but here's the thing. Those beliefs mean different things, don't they? Because though, like for, for most of us, I would guess, the fact that today is the opening Sunday of the professional football season is, is kind of like a propositional belief. We're not very invested in that. Unlike me, we'll be camped on my couch for the whole day. The rest of us are not really very invested in that. Uh, it's, it's a propositional belief. Others of us are deeply invested in this little beginning, like I am. And so that belief is more than just a proposition. But then there's other beliefs that we're even more invested in, like the belief that we will be cared for. 
Like if, you're a, if you're a kid, if you're a child here in this room, my guess is that you wake up in the morning and you just assume that you're going to be cared for every day, right? That your parents have provided something for you, that they've provided you know, food and, and a home and all these things. You don't, you don't worry about them, more than likely. Some of us do, do. Some of us have in our childhood. But most probably not. So which is it? Which kind of belief is it when we say, I believe, and it comes to Christianity? My bet is that for many of us in this room, we treat it like we would a belief that jerk chicken is the best food in the world. It's a food preference. It's something like, yeah, I believe this, but other people believe this, and so it's all good. This passage that I just read speaks to this, though. It speaks to the notion of belief, and it speaks to that belief as being the core of what it means to be a Christian. And so we're going to look at this passage in a couple of ways because we have to be very clear on what belief means. And so there's an outline in your bulletin. If you're new to Presbyterian churches, that's what we do, right? We take notes. Some churches you get amens. In this church, you don't get amens. The only person who amens me is Carlton, and I love him for it. Okay? But, but for most of us, if we're, if, if, if we're really into what's being said, we're scribbling. <laughs> that, that's the Presbyterian amen. We're writing notes. So if, if that's cool for you, great. If not, leave it there. We're going to look at two things. We're going to look at a story of rejection, and we're going to look at a story of reception. Okay? Two things. Really easy. Story of rejection, story of reception. And what we're going to see is this. That the core of Christianity is belief in the Christ. The core of Christianity is belief in the Christ. So let's break that down. Okay. Now, uh, our passage this morning was written by one of Jesus' earliest followers. His name was John. That's why it's called the book of John. Uh, you'd love John. John was the youngest of Jesus' followers. Um, he was a young man when Jesus was, uh, was walking around on the earth. Very young man. And he had anger issues like most young men do. He and his brother James, one time, Jesus and his, his little band of merry men, they're, they're walking through a region and they come to a town and the town doesn't receive Jesus very well. And John and, John and James are like, Jesus, let's call down fire from heaven and destroy them. They're like, yes! And Jesus is like, no, 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 we're not doing that. They're like, ah, no, just, just kidding. No, I didn't really mean that. So, um, so that's, that's John, right? And this, by the way, that little, that little anecdote aside, this, by the way, is one of the reasons why I love the Bible and, and why I think it's true. Right, because I, I, most of you wouldn't know this. I was a comparative religions major when I was in college, and, and if you read holy books of, of other world religions, what you'll find is their heroes, their leaders are all perfect. They never make mistakes. But the Bible is full of imperfect, flawed people. Abraham is a coward. David is an adulterer and a murderer. Um, you get to the New Testament. Peter is brash, speaks way before he ever thinks of anything, and just abandoned Jesus. Like, all of the, the New Testament is filled with very flawed leaders. And so if you're going to be a leader of a new religious movement, and you're going to make up a book just going to make it up, right? I'm just going to make it up and I'm going to make up something that tells people that they should not only believe what I'm saying, but come follow me in it. I'm probably not going to write accounts of how messed up I am. Because why would anyone want to follow a messed up person? And yet, that's what we see in the New Testament. It's one of the reasons why I think it has to be true. People in the New Testament are messed up, just like me. Just like you. Okay. Now, so this is the beginning of John's account of the life and ministry of Jesus. And it's a, what's called a prologue. And this prologue gives spoilers to what's going to come in the rest of the gospel. So if you really wanted to be surprised, 
you just leave out chapter 1 and you read the rest, okay? But he gives spoilers. So uh, it begins with this world of rejection. Look down at verse 10 if you have the scripture in front of you. John says, he was in the world, he means Jesus, and the world was made through him, and yet the world did not know him. Okay, what's this about? John is saying some pretty crazy stuff about Jesus because... Like in our culture, most of us think of Jesus as like a really good teacher, really moral dude, kind of like a guru, right? He's a guru. Robe, sandals, um, you know, he's a guru. John's picture, though, is a little loftier, isn't it? And that's because Christianity teaches that Jesus is God. See, so the Christian view of God is that God exists in one essence in three persons. The Father, the Son, and the Holy Spirit. One what, three who's. Uh, All one God, but three persons. Um, And so as God, Jesus is the second of these persons. He is God the Son, and as God, he created the world. And the story of the Bible, though, isn't just that God created the world, but that he created the world for himself, that he didn't need any. There was no lack in God that he said, like, you know what, I, I really just need relationship. I'm lonely. And like, he's not lonely. He's got three persons. Like, they're not lonely. So he, he creates the world, but he creates it for himself, created out of love. Okay? So John says that though he created the world, it didn't know him. And when it says the world, he's talking about humanity in general, that humanity as generally speaking, did not recognize him, did not know him. He comes into the world, and we're going to get, why, get to why in a second, but he comes to the world, and the world did not know him. Okay? Still with me? All right. Now, that, world, that word know is cool, because uh, to know something in the Bible is, a, is an intimate knowledge. It's not, like a, it's not like a propositional knowledge. It's not like I know that the back wall is red. It's to be intimately aware. It's a personal, relational kind of term. And so... When Jesus came, we didn't know him. We didn't recognize him. We didn't relate to him. We didn't understand him. It sounds rough, right? I mean, it kind of makes you almost feel bad for Jesus. Like, man, what, what, what happened? Uh, but the reason for that is wrapped up in the, in the story of the Bible as well. Because you see, God made us for himself. Like, we were made for a dependent relationship on God. But in time, humanity came to believe a lie. That lie is that God doesn't love us. He doesn't care for us. We can't trust him. He's not out for our good. He's probably trying to hold us back and we'd be better off without him. And in fact, we can be independent from him and we must be. Not just that we can, but that we must be because he can't be trusted. And when we believed that, we betrayed him and we turned from him. It was a personal betrayal. I know that a lot of times when we associate Christianity, we, or we do associate Christianity with things like rules, right? There are these rules and you broke the rules. But at the core of Christianity is a relationship, and we betrayed that relationship. We turned from God. And when we did, like all betrayals, guilt happened. But not only guilt, we were also changed. See, like in the beginning, we had to be convinced of a lie now. Now, every person is just kind of born believing it. We don't have to be convinced anymore that God's not trustworthy. We may, we may have to think of different ways in which to think of that, but we don't have to be convinced of it. It's just kind of a presupposition. We are bent away from God. So John is saying that even though the world was made by Jesus, when he came, we rejected him because we didn't know him. Okay? But that's not surprising, though. 
Right? I mean, that's what we would expect things to say, that the world is apart from God. If there is a God, then the world is not following him, and that's what religion is for, right? Well, let's keep going. Look at verse 11. John says, he came into his own, and his own people did not receive him. Okay? And this destroys our assumptions, so it's big. So check back in if you've checked out. So in the beginning, we betrayed God. We turned away from him. But right there in the story, God says, I'm not done. I'm not giving up. I'm actually going to make this right. Not I'm going to ask you to make it right. I'm going to expect you to make it right. I am going to fix this. And so in time, God chose this dude named Abram. We heard about him. Laura read a little passage from Genesis 15 that talked about him. He he chooses this dude named Abram who becomes Abraham. And he says, says, um, it's through your family that I'm going to make things right. And he reveals himself to Abraham's family. And he, he shows who he is. And he gives them his word. He, he talks to them about who they are and what's happened to them. And then he, he even gives them a vision for what humanity's life should be like if we were actually still in relationship with God. They were his people. Abraham's family. They're his people. So John says, Jesus came to his own, meaning the creation he had made, and his own people rejected him. You see that? It kind of blows our categories, right? We expect the irreligious people of the world to reject God, but here's the religious people. The only religious people, by the way, at least in the Bible's view of things. And they reject him. These are the ones who have the right rules, the right rituals, who wear the right things, do the right things, believe the right things. These are the churchgoers of the ancient world. And when Jesus shows up, they're like, nah, dude, I'm good. I don't need you. We're fine. So John is clear. It's not just the quote-unquote godless of the world who had turned away from Jesus, but the very people that he had promised to rescue the world through. Let me put these in other categories. The irreligious rejected God. The religious rejected God. The immoral rejected God. The moral rejected God. The good, clean folks rejected God, and so did the train wrecks. It's universal. It's universal. And that's what we have to keep in mind as we turn to the roots of this rejection. See, we tend to think that people are rejected by God because of what they do, right? I mean, that's just kind of inborn in us. We do good things, God will like us and do good things for us if there is one. As a matter of fact, some of you don't believe in God, and that's why. Because you've done the good things and nothing good happened. You're like, what's up? Right? So we think, if I do good, God will do good back to me. And if I do bad, he will reject me. But that's not what we see here in this passage, is it? What we see in this passage is not God rejecting us, but us rejecting him. You don't believe me, do you? I mean, I know you're like, well, I can read that, but I, that, that doesn't make sense. Well, stay with me. Because you see, what's at the root of that idea that if there is a God, if I do good, he will do good for me. And if I do bad, he, bad things will happen is this idea that our problem as humans is we're not good. 
And if we just be good, then everything would be good with us. And if we just, like, if we're bad, then things are going to go bad. Our problem is that we're not good. If there is a God at all, our problem is that we're not good enough for him, right? Which is why we struggle so much, all of us, Christian, non-Christian, with the exclusive claims of Christianity. Because there are really good people who don't believe a lick of this Bible. There are. There are people way more moral than I could ever be who don't believe anything I'm saying. And so if our problem is that we're not moral, then, man, how can God be so mean to moral people? But the Bible teaches that morality isn't our issue. It's a symptom of our issue. The problem is the lie. The problem is the lie that we believed. Okay? So, so John tells us right here, the immoral pagan world rejected Jesus, and it did, and the moral Jewish world rejected Jesus. And it did. Now, let me be clear on something. The family of Abraham, according to the Old Testament, had every advantage. They had the right worship. They had God's word. They had predictions saying how this dude was going to show up, what he was going to do, what he had to do. They had all of the advantages. They had every gold star on their Sunday school calendar. Like, they had them all. But they rejected God. Why? What's the lie? See, you can be immoral and independent from God. That's what we normally think of. We think of train wreck guy or girl. And look, and some of us, that, that's where we are, right? We clean up real nice, but that's where we are. We know it. As a matter of fact, we're really scared that other people are going to see it here. Let me, just, let me just assure you, you are safe. I'm that too, right? That's what we normally think. We normally think of that person as being independent from God. But you can also be really moral and independent from God. The former, the, 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 the person who's, you know, more of, more of their, their life is running off the rails. Like, that person is looking for satisfaction apart from God. The moral person is looking for a status apart from God. The, this person over here is going, I, I just need to get mine because it's all I can get. This person over here is going, I need to look good so that everyone will like me and God will do good things to me. And both are independent of God. Both. They're both seeking life apart from God. And this needs to be really clear for us to understand what it means to believe. Christianity, Christianity declares that our problem is not that we're not moral or not religious. It says that our problem is that we are independent of God. We don't want Him. Some of us use our religion to stay distant from Him. Because as long as I can keep my rules, I don't need Him. Some of us use our lack thereof to stay distant from Him. Because as long as I don't ever look at these things, I don't have to get anywhere near Him. You see that? We have betrayed Him. And we have to return to Him. Not to rules. To a ruler. Not to a religion or rituals, but to a relationship, a dependent one. If not, our betrayal of God may look very different. And for those of us in this room, our different betrayals look very different. But it all is rooted in the same place. Now, that's the story of rejection. Let's look at the story of reception. Look at verse 12. John says, But to all who did receive him, who believed in his name, he gave the right to become children of God. Okay, there's a ton of this verse in this verse. Let me, let me back up a second. Remember the story earlier. God promised to rescue the world through Abraham's family. But what did I just say about Abraham's family? Like, they're as messed up as the rest of us. They're as messed up as everybody else. 
And so, uh, you know, like, if, if you've got two people drowning in a pool, like, the, they can't save each other. They're both drowning, right? A drowning person can't save another drowning person. So, because Abraham's family couldn't, they, they were just as messed up as the rest of us, God became part of Abraham's family to effect the rescue that he promised. Listen, because this is really important. If our problem, if our problem is that we are independent of God, and I know that's a big if for some of us, but if that's the problem, then we need to return to dependence on Him. We don't just need to do better. We need to depend on Him. And so Jesus came, and He came to live the life that we couldn't. He lived a life perfect and without sin. Can't even imagine that. But He did it. And then he died to bear the weight of our betrayal. Remember what I said, betrayal brings guilt. We know that. I know that some of us hate that idea, but we know that because we've been betrayed. And we've betrayed others. And it brings guilt, and somebody's got to bear it. So the point of Jesus' coming was not, it was not to give us rules to follow or a path to keep. It was to give us a person to trust. He works And we trust. So John says that all who received him, that is, he says, who believed in his name. And that's that's in apposition. That's a grammatical term. But it just means it's further explaining the previous clause. So all who received him, that is, who believed in his name. Now, in the ancient Near East, where this kind of came up, where this was written, your name isn't just something that identifies you. Listen, if you're a parent in this room, you chose a name for your kids because you like the way it sounds, let's be honest. Maybe there's some other hidden meaning, maybe it's like some middle name was attached to a grandparent, somebody you loved a lot. But for the most part, you and your spouse sat around arguing probably over whether those names worked well together. Right? Like, I have, I, I've got four kids. I know how that works. And we did argue a lot over how those names fit together. But in the ancient Near East, that's not the way that works. In the ancient Near East, a name says something about the person. Jesus' name, Jesus, which is the Greek form of his Hebraic name, his Hebrew name, which would have been Joshua, means God saves. It means God saves. It doesn't mean God shows you how to save yourself. It's God saves. To receive Jesus means to trust that that is true. See, the lie tells us we can't do that. That God can't be trusted. The idea of him saving, if we're going to have to lay our lives on that trust, I don't know, man. That guy is, my life has been messed up. And if there is a God, like, then why is my life as messed up as it is? Or others of us, like, we don't want to trust in that because we think that God is kind of like waiting up in the clouds and he's got a thunderbolt in one hand and his big old thumb in the next. And he's waiting for us to mess up so he can hit us with one or the other. What John is telling us here, though, is that receiving him, receiving Jesus, means believing in his name, trusting in who he is. Placing your life in his hands and taking him at his word. And when that happens, John says, Jesus gives us the right to become children of God. Now, I could say a lot about that, but I want to get to the calculus of this really quick. John is very clear that being a child of God, in other words, being beloved of God, is not something you work for. Did you see that? Jesus gives it. 
He gives them the right to become children of God. He gives it. It's a gift. You can't earn it. And of course you can't. Because if our problem is independence and you could earn the gift, then you've just gotten more independent. It just reinforces the problem. Jesus gives it. The word for this in the Bible is grace. Grace. It isn't just a prayer before a meal. It's a declaration of God's gift. We don't deserve God's love. We don't deserve God's favor. We don't deserve God's affection. It is graced. It is given. It is gifted to us. Then this is fleshed out in verse 13. Okay? Look at the work of God. It's a little confusing, so listen close. John says, Gave the right to become children of God who were born not of blood, or of the will of the flesh, or of the will of man, but of God. Now, that's not super familiar language to us, but um, in, the, in the world in which John was writing, those were all ways to, to f- work out the metaphor of how children are naturally born. Okay? That is something that, is something that happens, um, you know, that they were still trying, I mean, they knew how it all worked. Don't get me wrong. Like, they understood how, how babies happen. That's not, that's not something I'm saying. But they had different ways of talking about it than we do. These are all those. So what it basically means is, when he talks about blood, flesh, the will of man, he's talking about human means. He's talking about human means. So John is saying, this is not the work of our human means. This is the work of God. Did you hear that? Because this is the biggest difference. Look, look, some of y'all already zoned out and you're waiting for kickoff. I get it. Or you're waiting for lunch. Somebody promised you a great meal after this. Make sure they give it to you, but check in right now, okay? Because this is the biggest difference between Christianity and every other world religion, every other world outlook, in fact. This is even the biggest difference between everything that claims to be Christian but is not. All the rest of them say, here is the way to get back to God. Here is the way to make things work. Here is your best life now. Here is this path that's going to take you where you need to go. But Christianity says, here is the way that God got you back. Not here's the way to get back to God. I need to be clear, okay? John just said this is a gift, right? Here he fleshes out. It's God's work. In other words, to get right before God is not something we do. It's something he did in Jesus. This is why Christianity makes exclusive claims. And I know those bug us. I know they bug us. Whether you're Christian or not, they bug you. I get it. But listen, if our problem is betraying God through independence then we both need someone to deal with the guilt of that betrayal and we need some way to return to dependence on him. And in Jesus, we have both. Both are accomplished. Nothing else deals with those two problems. Bearing our guilt, moving back into dependence on God. So we place our faith in him, depend on him, and we are united to him. United to him so that what's true of Jesus becomes true of us. The Bible calls this union with Christ. There's a little technical term. What it means is we place our faith in him. His perfect life becomes credited to us. Before God, though my, my life is as messed up as the next guy's, before God, because of Jesus, I am, I'm given his status. I don't need one of my own. And my, his death for sin becomes mine so that my sin is actually born, taken away. Not just what I did, what I'm doing, and what I'm going to do. Because I do. His work, our reward. That is why the basic message of Christianity is called good news. If the basic message of Christianity was, here's how to do better so that God will like you, that ain't good news to me. Maybe it is to you. It's not good news to me because I can't do it. I can't do it. 
You and I don't need to be told what to do. We need to be told what's been done. And that only comes through Jesus. Okay? So that's, that's what John's talking about. Now let's bring it in a little look at receiving the creed. You see, there, there's so much in this little beginning, I believe. Belief is about more than agreeing with some propositions. Some of us in this room agree with all the propositions, don't we? We agree with all of them. We maybe grew up in this, or maybe we didn't, but, but we, we have great ideas about God. Some of us know the Bible. Others of us have never even picked it up. Maybe today was the first time you actually heard a passage from the Bible read, which is awesome. But belief isn't just propositions. You can have the right kinds of propositional beliefs and still be very distant from God. See, that's who John's talking about in verse 11. His own people, they knew a lot of right ideas about God. They knew all the right ideas about God. They knew all of what God had revealed to them. They had all the right answers, but they did not know him. Which is why the gospel of Jesus strikes at our pride and our shame. Because some of us in this room believe we are doing just fine. And if there is a God, which most of us probably believe there is, if, if there is a God, he's, he's, you know, he's kind of happy with us. He's happy with us. He, he, he's He's kind of lucky to have us and lucky that we're here. We're moral, we're responsible, we're tolerant, we're good people. And it is offensive to hear that before God, none of that matters. (laughs) Sorry. It doesn't matter. It's independent. Others of us, though, we're not doing great. We we don't have enough pride in what we're doing because it's not good and we know it. We walk around feeling like there's a big scarlet letter sewn onto our chest. And we are terrified that other people are going to see it. And so we covered up with this attitude of, I don't care. I don't really care what y'all think. We've come to believe that even if there is a God, he could never accept someone like us. And so it is terrifying to believe that our sin is no different than the sin of the moral guy. And that we need Jesus. We need to trust in Jesus. See, the, the core of Christianity is belief in the Christ. It's trusting in Jesus. It's not a system of rituals. It's not a system of rules. It is, it's not even a set of propositions. It's a reconciled relationship with God through Jesus. So where are you with Jesus today? Where are you? I know that some of us in here, like I said, don't believe anything I've been saying for the last 30 minutes. But I want to make sure you hear me clearly. To claim to be Christian... To claim this creed as yours, that we're going to confess in not too long, is to say, I am hopelessly broken, and I have no hope before God except that he is loving and merciful, and in Jesus has rescued me. To claim this creed as your own is to know that there is nothing wrong with anyone else that's not wrong with me. And that if Jesus can rescue me, he can rescue anybody. Even if you aren't sure you buy that, please be sure that that is what it means to be Christian. You can go home and consider it. Go to lunch with whoever brought you here and consider it. Ask a ton of questions, but be clear on what it is. The core of Christianity is belief in the Christ, because without Jesus, there is no Christianity. And I don't mean without his teaching. I mean without Jesus. If you remove Jesus from the system, there is no system. It crumbles. We lay our lives not in our efforts or in our abilities, but fully in Him, and we find that God not only pardons us,
but as John says in this beautiful passage, makes us his children. Would you pray with me? Father, I know that no matter where we are with Jesus this morning, some of these ideas are offensive to us. I know that because as I was preparing it, some of them were offensive to me. Because I want to believe, like all of us do on some level, that I'm okay. That you're not that holy, I'm not that bad, and I can get by. But I was not made for that. My friends here were not made for that. And so I pray that you would press in on us the truth that we need you. And that we might cling to Christ, whether it's for the first time today, ever, or for the first time in like the last five minutes. Let us return to you through Jesus and find waiting there grace and mercy and love. We ask in Christ's name. Amen.